Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, and I'd like to welcome you to another self-coaching session where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's anxiety, depression, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Now, each week, we answer real-life questions submitted from my selfcoaching.net website or email selfcoachingpodcast at gmail.com. And for today's podcast, I'm happy to have my sidekick and daughter, Lauren Simonian. She's joining us again. Welcome back, Lauren. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Good. So our first question comes from Justin. And he writes, I start getting anxious around 5 o'clock on Sundays. And by Monday, lunchtime, I notice my whole team's stress levels are through the roof. Come Thursday and Friday, the same tasks that would have been a burden and stressful on Monday are now easy to handle. How can I make Monday and Tuesday as stress-free and productive as Thursday and Friday? All right, I have the answer. Quit work. (laughs) That's not a viable answer. I understand that. However, I don't think it's unusual for most people to have the Sunday nights, I wonder what we can call it, the trepidation, because on this planet, most people on Sundays are giving up their free time and about to engage in whatever work they do. Now, there is one exception on this planet, and that's you, Lauren. I know you love your work. You don't have the Sunday night problem, do you? No Sunday night scaries for me. Yeah. boy, One of the lucky ones. But getting back to Justin, uh, see, the thing is, when you are getting ready for what's ahead, what's ahead is an abstraction. We don't know what's coming. So we're, we're more or less anticipating the load, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday load, all those things that are surmounting in our mind, all those things that are starting to now make us feel a bit out of control because they haven't happened yet. Part of us, the doubting part of us may wonder, how am I going to get through this? It's going to be arduous. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. But all of those thoughts are not the same thoughts that we have when we have leisure time, where we just flow with our day and we enjoy ourselves, and and we're not kind of programmed to have to produce. So Monday, we go to work and we have five days ahead of us, and we're sitting there with our morning coffee. And now we have five days piled up on top of us, like five elephants just pressing down on top of us. And we managed to go through the day, but there's still so much more ahead. Then comes Tuesday and maybe one elephant fell off that load and we feel eh, a little bit better, but there's still a lot. And we're, you know, we're trying to cope with the, the what ifs and it may not be conscious, you know, it may be subconscious, but nevertheless, There's that subtle loss of control, that subtle insecurity that goes with just not being in control of your own destiny. Circumstances are demanding circumstances, job requirements. Then comes Wednesday, hump day, and we're saying, I'm almost at the peak now, the hill. And soon, then comes Thursday. (sighs) 
then Friday, even a deeper, ah, because now it's all behind us and we've managed to traverse the hill. We're finally getting ready for the weekend. What do you think, Lauren? Are you on board with what I'm saying or do you have some suggestions? I completely agree with you. And and I think that we both agree that time is, it's it's a mental construct. So it really, it, it is, our time is what we make of it. And I think it's our thoughts that will create our reality. So as we get into the habit of believing that Monday will be a time that will be stressful, of course, the day before, is, there's going to be pent up nervousness surrounding the impending doom. Mm-hmm. But I think that you can actually reprogram your thinking by using your self-coach and catch yourself on Sunday and and just notice like what are the thoughts coming through. And I think maybe a good suggestion would be Justin referenced that by Friday, he's feeling a whole lot lighter. And so maybe that's the time to actually set some time to reprogram. And one suggestion I might have is to actually take a little sticky sticky note by your desk and maybe he can write himself a little note for Monday morning, just reminding him uh, just some sort of positive message. So when he shows up at work, he can just sort of feel the way he felt on Friday and remember that his thoughts are what are going to make or break his day. It's it's not the day itself. It's just his response to what is happening uh, on on that day. Yeah, I like what you say. Time is what we make of it. And, and that, that kind of leads me to feel that we we prejudice ourselves with with projections of uh, you know maybe maybe they are projections of insecurity or just projections of the pressure that we're about to feel whatever it might be depends on the job of course i've had many jobs everything from digging ditches to driving trucks and taxi cabs and and i know for each of those sometimes it it wasn't so much the job itself but it was just the commitment of giving up my leisure time and being directed and demanded to do certain things according to someone else's will. Now, if I, if I approach that with, with a kind of negative mindset that this is going to be terrible, it's going to be terrible. What we tell ourselves and what we believe is what shapes our reality. So as we self-coach, what's important is to watch the interpretations we make. So sitting there on a Sunday night and doing nothing, well, nothing's going to change. So what is important if you really want to do some self-coaching is to catch yourself when you're starting to fall into that kind of morass and you're just allowing the pressure to mount and you're, you're not enjoying your Sunday evening because it's, it's really a prelude to Monday. So you have to change the script. You have to watch that prejudice. At least be neutral. The funny thing, too, is that a lot of times our mind tends to think that we won't be able to handle what's coming. And it's just so interesting that that's the thought pattern, because really, if you ask most people, they've accomplished so much and they have, you know, overcome any obstacle that's been thrown at them. So it's almost like catching your catching your thought process in those moments of worry and having the discipline to hear the thoughts and tell them you're not true. And I don't want to waste my, the last part of my weekend on worrying about what may or may not happen tomorrow, since I know I'm fully equipped to handle whatever will come at me, just like I have every other week of every other day I've worked at this job. Yeah, see, that's, that's called perspective. 
And, and I always tell people, you know, when they, they express that self-doubt or self uh, kind of fear or self-flagellation and just beating themselves up and not, not really, you know, allowing themselves to feel their full potential, that just as you say, look at all the problems and challenges you've solved in your life, hundreds, thousands, what makes you think you won't handle the next problem? You see, we're, we're survival machines. We have so much talent. So many, so many different ways that we can protect ourselves and handle life. And yet sometimes we act as if we're just this empty vessel with no potential to really take care. So we have to worry. So we sit back and we start to anticipate because basically we anticipate it's the same as worrying. We do that because we're trying to know what's coming around that corner on Monday before it gets there because we have to brace ourselves and we have to be ready. Well, letting life unfold is the best way. And the only way to do that is with some self-trust. If you can risk believing in yourself, then you don't have to anticipate. And, you know, that's kind of the self-coaching key is learning to trust or at first to risk trusting. Because with self-trust, then you just know that whatever steps your way, whether it be a banana peel or a squirrel running in front of your car, you'll react. You'll react instinctively, in the moment, intuitively. And I'm sure I'm sure you can add to that, Lauren. No, I think that that's great. I think I think catching catching the thoughts when they arise, trying to reframe them, um, having the discipline to stop them. Uh, I also think maybe for a Monday, you could come up with some sort of moment of joy that you could schedule in. I think that Monday morning, people are typically in a rush and um, their day starts with an onslaught of responsibilities. But I know um, in the case of my husband who works in the in the financial world, he always will start his Monday a half hour earlier just so he has the time to sort of ease into his day and take it at his, on his own terms. Um, he has time to connect with himself. Maybe he'll go outside for a moment to just like take in the world around him. Uh, just so that it, his day doesn't start on the terms of everyone else with their expectations of you. It starts with you with you, um, and it allows you to approach your work from a place of of truth and connection rather than just reactivity. Very good. Yeah, I like that. And 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 I would just add to that, do something different. Think something different. You know, come Sunday night, just don't do the same old, same old, and just fall prey to just being kind of inert. Do something different. Think something different. Try to reframe. And it may seem artificial. That's okay. You know, it may seem just not logical to say tomorrow's going to be okay. It may not, it may not feel right. But you know what? Do it anyway. Start to realize that how you frame things in your mind matters. And to go on as if it might be okay. You know, that's a bit more neutral than being negative. So, on Sundays or Monday mornings, let's let's start reframing the knee-jerk thoughts that set us up for the anticipated uh, failure that we expect. Agreed. I also think with that with that self-coach to strengthen the muscle of your, your coach in your mind, um, sometimes it helps even to imagine what would you tell a small child who was worried on a Sunday that they had to go back to school on Monday. A lot of times our inner wisdom can arise when we imagine ourselves in a situation where we are helping somebody else. Um, and so sometimes you'll, you'll hear the thoughts that will help you in your own situation. Yeah. I like to use the term depersonalize or depersonalization. 
sometimes it helps, you know, when you, you're, you're kind of stuck in sign of, you know, kind of a, whether it be anticipating negatives, self-doubt about the week, um, just, just feeling inadequate, whatever, whatever it might be. Sometimes when you can't get out of your own thoughts, ask yourself how someone, someone you respect, someone that you, you feel really has it, ask what they would say. A lot of times in therapy, people will, will wonder, well, what would my therapist say? See, that's called depersonalization. What happens is that when you ask yourself that question using someone else as a model in, in the abstract, you often come up with an answer. So-and-so would say ABC. You see, sometimes the answers are within us, and we're just so congested with typical reflexive thinking that we don't really give ourselves the opportunity to recognize that we're multifaceted. Once we step away from the reflexive negativity of our thinking, there's a whole world of possibilities. Now, it, it may seem a stretch to be positive about going into Monday, but it's not impossible. I mean, people can ask, well, how does Lauren Simonian do it? And, and the answer might be, well, she has the right mindset. She frames it in a positive way. She makes the positive happen. Do you think we influence our future with those reframed thoughts? Oh, yes, for sure. I think one of the things I always try to remember for myself, too, is that our time on this earth is, is limited. And so while we have to get through work or whatever things that might feel stressful or uncomfortable, it's still this is still part of your life. And so there have to be ways that you can make it more than tolerable. And if you're in a situation that is less than tolerable, there has there has to be something that you either change about it or learn to accept more fully, uh, because it, your your time should feel fulfilling in some way. Mm -hmm. That's that's profound. What's what's profound about it? Well, first of all, let me say I'm going to live to be 300, so I have a lot of time. I could relax a little bit, but what's important is what you just said. This is your life. This is the only life you're going to have. It's not a dress rehearsal. You only go around one time. And if you're going to be victimized by thoughts that are just more or less clinging to you Velcro-like, and you're not really doing anything about it, you're not reframing and rethinking, and you're not grabbing hold of yourself and coaching yourself to really interpret things in a better way, then that life that you have bit by bit by bit is is leaving you. It'll never be recovered. So there's only now, but recognize that what you do in the present is shaping this life, this only life you'll ever have. It's valuable, but it begins thought by thought. Thoughts really do matter. Yeah. There's a quote by Eckhart Tolle that I love where he is referencing uh, discomfort or dis-ease. And he says, when you face challenges, whatever they may be, you have only three options. Option one is to leave it. Option two is to change it. And option three is to accept it fully and, the, and have no more thoughts about it after you accept it fully. He says, all else is madness. Mm. Accept it fully. Uh, going back to Justin's question, I would say to Justin, when Sunday night rolls around, that acceptance part, you have to ask, am I resisting the week? And those resistance thoughts would be part of what's going on Sunday night, Monday morning. 
So the key would be to yield what is. We, we can't always change the circumstances of our life. Sometimes we can, obviously, as you say, Lauren. But sometimes we accept the circumstances of our life for whatever reason, a paycheck, you know, because this is what we're committed to. But are you resisting the commitments of your life or are you yielding to what is? Because what is, is. And it is very important for you to decide if you're resisting and digging your heels in and making what is friction, or if you are yielding to what is and thereby reducing friction. So I think psychological friction is very, very important. You know, when it comes to anxiety, depression, or happiness, if we are living with friction, if we're generating the sparks of friction by just being negative and and being fearful, well, then we get the life we deserve and we sit back and we anticipate more friction. So I, I think it's important that that we start to, I use the word yield and resist. It may not be the words you would use, is it, Lauren? I like those words. I've never used them in tandem before, but now maybe I will. Yeah. I've, I've often felt that, you know, it's, use a, a silly metaphor, but if, if you it's like if you go to a dentist, I mean, the dentist is going to do what the dentist has to do. And you're either going to resist and you're going to be three inches above the chair and sweating like a dog, or you're going to realize that you have to yield to this and get through it. So you just force yourself to kind of come back down into the chair, relax a little bit, and you yield to what you need. You need to have your tooth fixed. So you're yielding to that rather than having that inner child saying, no, no, I don't want to do this because we oftentimes come to battle with a very primitive childlike reflex. And, and this might apply to even the question Justin asks that Sunday night kind of moaning and groaning that might be a more primitive kind of the child in us saying, no, I don't want to have to do this. It's too hard and blah, blah, blah. What does the mature part of you say about this? Well, it's my job. Uh, I'm going to handle it. I'm not going to imagine that I'm going to flee this. See, what we get in trouble with is when we we try to uh, kind of feel that we're, we don't want to be trapped, but it's a self-imposed kind of commitment. You're not trapped. Once you feel like you're a victim, then everything changes and everything becomes more in the dark colors, the dark hues. It becomes more negative. So being victimized is a personal choice as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree. And I think when you live in a space of positivity and when you try to find the silver linings and look for ways to change your circumstances, uh, more good just flows to you. So the more that you're in that space, the more opportunity there is for new things to arise. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I always tell people, and this is this is a fact based on my experience as a psychologist, that people will start out oftentimes in therapy, saying how terrible life is, how their luck is so terrible, nothing goes their way. And it goes on and on for a bit. They start to change. They start to restructure their thinking. They start to become more positive. And, and I cannot explain this, but it is a fact that I have observed their luck changes. Things good start to happen where they weren't happening before. Now, I don't know, Lauren, I know you'll explain it better than I will, but somehow our change affects the world around us. How, what would you say that that dynamic is, Lauren? For me, I think of it as an energetic exchange because I think that 
positivity begets positivity. Good brings more good. I know that mom has always told me about a, a quote someone had shared with her that good people always attract good people. Um, it's just, it's an energy flow that is sort of on the same vibration. So the more you're living in a space of positivity, the more that vibration is sort of reciprocated. Um, and I know that's a little bit you know, out there because you can't necessarily see a vibration, but I do believe you, you truly can feel it. Like, you know, when you're around someone, even if they're not speaking to you, you, you can feel the positive people in the room and you can feel the negative people. And for the most part, you're probably going to want to be closer to the people with the higher vibration. Yeah. It's not so far-fetched. If you, if you hold a tuning fork and, and ping it next to another tuning fork, the second tuning fork starts to vibrate in unison with the first. The physical world responds and resonates with uh, with such energy. Why not? Why not the psyche of one person to another? We know that there are certain chemicals, oxytocin. I, I can't recall, but there are certain feel good chemicals that that get transmitted. That people people experience good feelings toward one another. These, these energy fields, these tuning forks that, that we possess, I mean, just when I jog, for example, when I first started jogging, you know, I would pass people and put my head down as they would put their head down. For some reason, there's this social cultural thing where people don't generally make eye contact. But then I decided, wait a second, that's not me. So I decided first to make eye contact and then to give a really strong, hey, how you doing? 99.9% of the time, that other person looks up, smiles, and gives me the same salutation. It's just that we are all waiting to have that life where we are in tune with other people, with life itself. And it's really just a matter sometimes of getting it off the shelf and realizing these potentials. I agree. Are you a tuning fork? Yeah, I think we all kind of are, don't you think? I do. There are some people whose tuning forks uh, just never get pinged. So they're, they're not vibrating. They're just being. And they're going through life rather alone, you know, just rather isolated, protecting themselves, coping. And, you know, this is, this is not a way to live. I don't know why I just thought of this lady who worked in, when I went to college at the University of Delaware, there was a woman who worked in the food court and her job was just, uh, she worked at the cashier. So she would check you out when you were leaving. And the other cash registers often would have no line and her cash register would have a line of, you know, around the corner because everybody wanted her to be, to have an interaction with her, her, just her vibration. I don't know how else to describe it, but you just wanted a little piece of her throughout your day because she had the, the most positive energy. Um, and so we would all go and get our food at that particular food court and then wait in line just to have a chance to be near her. And I think that her tuning fork was for sure, you know, very uh, acutely tuned. Hmm. So, so how do you self-coach yourself to become a better tuning fork? I, would, I guess I would guess that you, you first become aware that you have to put some energy into it. If you're used to being stoic and quiet and removed from the world, it's not going to feel natural at first. And most things don't feel natural when we try to change from one position to another. But if you're going to become a vibrating tuning fork instead of a mute tuning fork, 
you have to put some energy into it and recognize that you have to express yourself differently. You have to frame yourself, your thoughts, your behavior, and your approach to life differently. So that requires a certain effort. Can we talk a little bit about effort? Some people are just loath to do anything but stay on that couch and, and, and just kind of let life roll by. Where does that effort come from? That's, that's where self-coaching, I think, is most pertinent. How would you see that, Lauren? Where does the effort come from? So are you asking where the motivation to change is? Yeah, I know. I know it's a, it's a vague question, but it's like what, what gets someone who has been living in limbo for years, what's the thing that the switch that finally the light bulb that goes on that, that makes them just begin to recognize maybe I can be different. Is it, do you follow that? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it, it definitely starts with a desire and, and then a belief that it is possible. A lot of people think that the life they've created for themselves is where they are destined to be forever. Um, but the truth is, it can change at any moment. And the only person responsible for changing it is, is yourself. So I think it's a desire with a belief. And then from there, there are lots of tools that you can use to master your, your own mind. Wow, exactly right. First, you have to want something. Totally, totally correct, Lauren. You have to want it. But, and here's the but, if you don't believe it's possible, then you're just going to walk on and leave it behind you. You've got to have the desire, and you've got to realize that whatever you want, you've got the capacity, the power, the, the intuition, the artillery, whatever it takes, you have it. If you can't get in the front door, there's a side door, a back door, a window. You could always get in that house if you want it. But you need to realize that if you break things down to their elemental basis, there's no reason you can't figure it out as long as you're willing to inject your energy and your will into that effort. You know, it's, it's, everything is possible. And, and I think it's, you have to start realizing that even those things that feel impossible is, as they say, the I'm possible rather than impossible and make yourself possible. I think you'll agree with that, Lauren. I do. I find it fun to, research different famous people and how they got to where they are in their lives today. And all of them have this growth mindset, this idea that challenges can fuel you. And they had obviously a desire. They had to have had a belief in themselves because if you read about almost anyone who's accomplished great things, they've experienced a tremendous amount of failure along the way. And there's something really brave and incredible about the journeys that these people have taken because they've believed in themselves throughout their journey towards success. And I think that it's something that can inspire everybody because someone like Michael Jordan, who we look up to as this incredible basketball player, was cut from his high school basketball team. So everybody has the capacity to become what they dream of. It's just a matter of, like mm -hmm. you said, finding finding the ways that work and and not giving up when when it doesn't work the first or second or 100th time. Yeah. Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, looking for the filament that would make the light bulb possible, tried, and I believe this is the accurate count, 69,000 different filaments, everything from silk threads to spider webs. 
until he found the one filament that did work. Now, could you imagine if he stopped at 59,999 and said, ah, the hell with this, get me a candle. We wouldn't have light bulbs today. But he persisted and he was determined to find that or else. Who knows what where else is? But that's the kind of tenacity. Emerson said, patience and fortitude conquers all. And it's true. It's true. So if if you're listening to this and your life isn't exactly where it needs to be, and you're not feeling the life you want to feel, then the self-coaching question is, why not? <laughs> what do you want to do about it? You're the answer. So let's let's not become the problem. Let's become the answer. I think that's a maybe one way of describing self-coaching, right, Laura? Yeah, absolutely. Because self-coaching is is simply the process to bring people closer to their inner wisdom, to their own light and their own ability to become the person they want to be. There's so much potentiality inside of each and every person. And a lot of times that goes completely untapped. So self-coaching provides the tools and the information as to how to rewire and reprogram your mind so that your mind and heart and body and soul can all align in a way that allows you to reach your your true potential. Yeah, the inner light. It's so true. The inner light, let's call it the the essence of who and what we are. And for some people, it's it's like a dimmer and the light is very low and very dim, barely visible, but it's there. It's there. You see the light only gets extinguished when we're extinguished. I hate to bring that up. But uh, but when you start to increase the dimming and that light begins to glow brighter, that's when you're starting to get in touch with the possibility. That's when that first thought, that first desire you mentioned earlier, Lauren, that's, that's when that starts getting that light to glow a little bit brighter. And all of a sudden, as you start to increase the luminance, the luminosity of that light bulb, what happens? You start to really flow with it. Things start to happen. The energy starts to be unleashed. And that's when life really begins to cascade from the dark to the light. And it's all there. Always has been. And it's been there all this time. You know, the light, it, like I said, it doesn't get extinguished, but it, it gets muted. And that's because of circumstances that we allow to influence us when we become victimized by what I call the the crumbs of insecurity, the doubts, the fears, the negativity. These are also the underpinnings of anxiety and depression and all emotional struggle. So when we permit ourselves to just be uh, kind of victims of the dark, we're really only victims because we're being stagnant. We need to become more active. And self-coaching, I mean, just self-coaching, just think about it. We are going to coach ourselves to get off the bench, to get in the game, to win this war, the war that has become a struggle and change it from war to something much more vital, something much more wholesome. And it's not a war at all. It never was. It only becomes a war when we're at odds with our lives. Mm. Yeah, I think we have to start holding ourselves accountable to what we know we are capable of, or at least taking a risk and believing we're capable of something and and seeing if it seeing it transpire so I, I I often think of um my friends and myself who who would go to these group fitness classes and 
when I first met my husband, he, he would do his own workouts and he would always ask, why do you pay all this money to go to the gym? And uh, I would say, well, because I need someone to motivate me to keep going. Cause if I'm doing it by myself, I'm going to give up when it gets hard through that realization is when I started to realize like, well, wait a minute, if I need someone else to tell me to, you know, keep, keep going, then there's a problem with that. Like I should be the one in charge of my own development. And so I think that just is a metaphor for life. We often think that if, if mm. nobody else is pushing us, then, you know, it's time to be stagnant. But I think that we, we can learn to be the ones inside our own mind to, to push ourselves to that place where we know we're capable of, of getting to. Mm. You know, I see that, I see that quite a bit in, in, in my therapy. Um, when patients come in, invariably they're looking to the psychologist psychiatrist therapist for answers they don't come in because uh, they feel that you're just going to have this kind of idle discourse they come in because they want to know why they're suffering so they expect you to have those answers and i always tell people you know it's it doesn't matter if you go to a shrink a guru a shaman ultimately the answers you seek have to come from you now a good guide, like a psychologist, a good guide will help you see the path in front of you. But that path has to be traversed by you. Now, a lot of people don't want to have to do it. And they're disappointed when you tell them, hey, you, you need to really take this, this risk of trust. You really need to try to do this differently. You need to start reframing those thoughts and not being victimized by them. They, they're almost insulted that you're not giving them this magical aha. You know, it's almost like we expect that the truth will set us free. No, 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 no. You could dig back. I don't care if you go 50 years back, 20 years back, 10 years, depending on your age. You could find out why your potty training was too strict or too lenient. It ain't going to set you free because you are the end result today of all those prior experiences. So it really comes down with, since life is all about habit and you are the end result and you are now habituated by your past, the past really exists in the present. So that negativity can be tackled right now. It's like the cigarette smoker. We don't have to know why you took that first cigarette. What are you going to do about it today? So Lauren, tell me, what what does the now have to do? Or why, let me rephrase that. Why is the now so important if you really want to start untangling problems? Mm. I think that when you pay attention to what's happening in the now, uh, in, internally, you can start to shed a light on where the resistance is coming up in your life. And I truly believe that any challenges that you are facing are offering you this glimmer of opportunity to learn more about yourself and to transcend from whatever that challenge is bringing out. So it's not about the circumstance or the challenge itself. It's about learning how to improve your own react reactions and your own responses to life. And I always say, when I think back on my teaching career up to date, I always am so grateful for the students that challenged me, the ones that were quote unquote difficult. Um, they're the ones that are incredibly memorable to me because those students pushed me to a place where I had to learn to be better. I had to learn a new way. I had to learn what it was in myself that made working with them difficult. And those are the students that made me 
a better teacher. And I think that that's a metaphor for life. It's when you encounter something that makes you want to run away or makes you want to shut down, that's where the magic can happen. So I know it's easy to say harder to do, but when you notice that resistance in the moment, that's your chance. Like that's your chance to dig in and try to figure out what is it that's making me respond the way I am and how can I shift that? Mm. Yeah, it's it's all happening right now. And the life that you want begins right now. And and it's it's just it's just critically important to realize, as we often say, thoughts matter. Everything in life is cumulative. And one thought isn't going to change you. It's not going to change your brain anatomy. It's not going to change your chemistry. But one thought on top of another, on top of another, if they all happen to be negative, will eventually have an effect physiologically, psychologically, and the same goes for positive thoughts. And if you're a negative person, a negative Nelly, you know what? You don't have to take a, a tremendous 180 leap and become this positive person. It may be too much of a leap for you, but at least neutralize, at least go from negative to neutral. At least that's a start on the right path. So learn when we talk about change, when we talk about coaching and change, I think it's important for people to realize that, you know, it doesn't have to be this, this grandiose, impossible leap of faith. It all begins with incremental steps, baby steps, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One step is all you can do in the moment. As you say, what can we do now? Um, we can't do it all at once. We can only be responsible for what we can do in the moment. And and it's important also to celebrate the small steps forward because eventually those steps add up and they bring you where you're trying to go. Lauren, can you think of ways that we train ourselves to have a better life? What kind of training might we do? I think we need some level of resiliency. Uh, I think that we need to have emotional regulation we need to have control of our thoughts and be able to reframe and rephrase as as things arise in our thinking mind. Um, we need to have connection to our inner wisdom in order to make decisions that will propel us towards what our heart's desire is. Okay. I think that one of the things that I, I take away from this today is that come Sunday, um, I'm going to be thinking about our talk today. I'm going to be thinking about how am I framing my week? How am I allowing myself to project myself forward into this week? Am I doing that with resistance? Uh, am I doing that with anticipated dread? Am I allowing myself to be victimized? So whatever you heard from this podcast today, just realize that you shape your world and you shape it every day, and you shape it every minute, and you shape it in every second of the now. So why not give yourself the advantage of shaping your world in a way that makes more sense, that is going to give you more fulfillment, and it's going to give you the life you deserve and the life you want. So with that, Lauren, thank you so much, and I hope to see you again. You, you are uh, very, very helpful in bringing out the salient points that were in the recesses of my mind. So uh, you are a great catalyst for me, and I thank you for that. Thank you. And be sure to visit my website, selfcoaching.net. 
where you can learn more about my self-coaching philosophy and check out my number one best-selling books, now published in 10 languages. So until next time, realize that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless, and you are not powerless. And remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me each week, and let's make it simple together. Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart.